it's such a heavy conversation. Sometimes I, I feel like I wish we had more fun or more laughter in part of the conversations. Sure. But it is, it's, it, it is, uh, it is the nature of the conversation though, that, you know, this is not, this is not an easy topic. It, it kind of hits people in an uncomfortable space, uh, you know, but that's, that's our hope is to kind of, I call it disrupt people's day in a good way. Like kind of got to get disrupted a little bit to hopefully make some tangible, palpable progress. So. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders tend to shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and as always, I'm here to have conversations with real people, with real stories, and today I have Hugh Breland. He's the CEO of UNI, an organization that focuses on purpose, inclusion, and empowerment for people with disabilities. Um, their mission is to spread the light of inclusion for those with disabilities and eliminate barriers for them. And they, they do this through job placement, job training, life skills training, advocacy, and many other things to ensure that people with disabilities maximize their purpose and are empowered and included. I love that mission. So welcome to the show, Hugh. How are you? I'm good, Jeff. I'm uh, excited to be here with you. Yeah. And, you know, I have so many places I want to start, but I, I, I know for sure that the most important place for me to hear from you and for everyone to hear from you is definitely your kind of per before we get into all the things you do now, I kind of want to hear a little bit about where you, you come from kind of about your, wherever you choose to start, but what, where's the story that kind of led you uh, to this path? Yeah. So I would say um, basketball was at the center of my story as a young person. Mm -hmm. And I, that plus then um, community work and even religious work. Okay. And so I noticed as a young kid, a good friend of mine named Chauncey that I played with, he could jump out of the gym. Uh, don't get it twisted. I couldn't. Uh, but, but he, he was, he was one of my, my great friends. I would take him to certain parts of my world and notice that he was not included that that he was not even thought of is like oh this guy might show up and then once he was there he was made to feel a certain way that is excluded like it's harder for you to be here because you're not a part of the clique or a part of the crew or whatever and so it, it deterred me from inviting him to certain things uh and then fast forward throughout my life, I began to notice that um, not just in that context, but in many others, um, whether that was a friend, again, that looked different or, you know, again, had disabilities or whatever. It just became this major passion of mine to uh, be about inclusion and end exclusion as best as I could where I was at. So that's... That's really part of the major um, catalyst to my story. Another catalyst is just the reality that 
um, I think the reality of so many marginalized communities, uh, which a lot of my friends were in those communities, seeing the opportunities that I was getting and going, okay, uh, my starting line, if we're going to run 100 yards, but I get to start at the 50-yard line and you're back at the, at the one-yard line, I'm probably going to win, regardless of if I should or not, or if we are equally talented, I'm just at a different starting point. And so I've, I found that I got opportunities that some of my friends didn't get. And that even as I got older, internships, all the, whatever it was, scholarships, all the things, I just had more access. So accessibility became, again, a catalyst for me to want to be a part of a community and really what I say, run towards the mess as opposed to live ignorant of the mess or run away from it. Mm -hmm. What are some of the ways that you ran towards that mess? So uh, for me specifically, I started serving in um, marginalized communities. I would say it started for me because a guy um, essentially mentored me every Friday morning from at like 6.30 for six straight years of my um, junior high and high school. I valued mentorship. And so I noticed that in marginalized communities, a lot of the kids are in single parent homes um, and specifically single moms. So not a lot of men and not a lot of then again, educational opportunities or not even a lot of encouragement towards that at times. And so I just started mentoring kids in marginalized communities, which then connected me to the adults, which then connected me to the entire kind of ecosystem, or you might call it that that marginalized community was, was swimming in. Mm. And I became more and more aware of the needs and then started just, you know, seeing where I could, where I could be helpful, but you know, you can be very hurtful if you're not careful. So yeah, been doing that my whole life. Yeah. And I know you've done a lot of, um, of work with marginalized groups throughout, but more recently your focus has really narrowed in with the, the recent kind of you and I initiatives mm -hmm. around specifically people with disabilities. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, of the of the entire hundred percent of people that could work that have a disability only 25 percent of them currently are employed so you're talking about 75 percent of the workforce that could work now there are certain people that don't have the ability to do certain jobs but the the, the workforce that can work there's a huge population there um, that that is able to work but doesn't have the opportunity whereas flip that number, it's really 75 to 80% of people that don't have a disability that are hireable are in fact employed, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a gap that you, you got to begin to fill the gaps. The other reality is that our, we have like 11 million jobs right now and like 6 million workers to fill those jobs the, in traditional lanes. So if we're not willing to get outside of the traditional lanes and say, hey, what about this group that can do work that 
that is has huge value. Why are we not tapping into that? And I would take it a step further. Yes, I'm fo very focused on people with disabilities. A lot of the are veterans that have been um, just kind of left to their own devices when they get out or, and that's homelessness and all the things that a lot of, we see a lot with our veteran community. And then the, um, and then people with records in prison. Um, you know, if you have a, a misdemeanor or a felony, it doesn't matter. The American Bar Association found recently in a study that there are 45,000 barriers to work, 45,000 barriers to work for someone with a criminal record. So we have, oh, I don't know, 17 million that have a felony charge in there right now in the United States. We have another tens of millions with misdemeanor. And you're talking about all these hurdles to get education, jobs, and housing. And then tack on transportation. And you've basically got what the marginalized communities deal with on a regular basis. And, um, and so, yeah, we tackle that. I mean, that's, that's what we do. We, we go towards those zip codes and we offer all types of programs. One program, for example, in-house, we can, we can employ people to be a part of the supply chain. So we do fulfillment and we hire people with disabilities to be a part of our um, staff. And we can, we can house about 200 in-house, which is, that's a great workforce there. And then externally, we help another between, you know, with COVID, it kind of shifts us some things and we didn't have access to certain, certain things, but about a thousand to 2000 additional people outside of our facility that we're helping get either education and employment, or like I said, a lot of our veterans are homeless. So we help them take that first step towards transitional living and then just, you know, keep, keep going. Um, give them quick education that can, can get them a job and then continue to build on that education. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's a lot of our focus right there. Wow. And help me, you know, I hear it and I understand it. I believe it, but I, I, I'm left wanting to hear more about this 25% of the, you know, what are, what are those, you know, thousands of hurdles? What is going on with the 75% that are not employed? What does that experience look like? So I will tell you that it starts with the education system as a kid. You're already reinforcing the idea that this segment of the kids of the population are somehow not just different, but different in a negative way. That's the, the perception is the reality. And the reality is, is that we're separating from the jump and saying, you're not going to be a part of what quote unquote normal. Yeah. And so if, if that's our mindset from the jump, then once a kid, again, it's like the foster care system, you age out, you age out of um, special needs or, you know, they call it different things in different cities, different states. But, you know, at, at 17, 18, 
not only are you aging out of a, of a system that's already dismissed you, but then when you age out, your parents, many times, what people don't understand is that at 18, many times the one parent has to quit their job because perhaps this, this individual can't do all the necessary things and, or just simply needs rides everywhere or whatever. And so when that happens, we actually reinforce the cycle of poverty because we take these families that many times have multiple kids, we reduce them to one single income. And on top of all that, we put them in categories and label them and say, well, you either A, you're not hireable, you're not really a part of what we can do, or B, if we do hire you, it's gonna be for very low paying. Like we're just gonna put you in the category of minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And so we, we don't think livable wage, we think minimum, and and we don't think we don't we're not in meetings. I mean, how many meetings have you or others that are listening been in where you're genuinely str- strategically thinking about how to have a workforce, a part of your workforce, be the di- be diverse in ability? Yes. And with, how are you thinking about that strategically as a company? And most companies, let's just be frank, are only doing the minimum required if something's required. So it's like, oh, we got to meet a quota. So we're going to do the minimum. That's not, it's, it's why we get into situations where we have 11 million jobs and 6 million employees, because we say, well, there's, there's nobody else out there. I call it the untapped talent pool. You, you have all this untapped talent, but you're not, you're not thinking as strategically about your marketing initiatives and, and your, things that you know their trinket and how to you know make more money instead from a human we were talking about humanity today from mm-hmm. a human perspective if we want to be a more diverse culture for example diversity is usually thought of quite frankly as black or white black and white sure. like that's sure. diversity that's that's ridiculous and it's also ridiculous that we have so many millions of people with disabilities in our in the United States, and we're not even thinking of them when we think diversity or inclusion. It's like diversity and inclusion ends with a a, a black person or a white. That that doesn't make sense. Why why would it end there? Yeah, that's part of it. But man, we have a huge segment, and you know, it's not sexy to talk about or to think about um, because. Let's just be honest. It's you know, kids with cancer is is extremely prevalent, and we want to take care of kids with cancer, no doubt about it. The amount of kids that we have that have disabilities that we're just pushing into a certain segment of society is far greater. We don't pay attention, and 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 it and hence the cycle. Um, So yeah, that's yeah. So to help me understand the problem better, um, this is my own, this is my reasoning for my line of questioning, just so I can set the context. Um, you know, you mentioned how, you know, some kids grow out of, you know, adolescence and, you know, 
they have this disability and they're kind of almost everything around them is funneling them towards this part of society, right? Their own, their own families are kind of quitting that, that, that second income to take care of them and shelter them from, um, and then you have businesses themselves that are not considering their own inclusion and, and this environment that's, you know, I'll be frank, even with the best intentions of trying to be as inclusive as possible, ableism is not included in that conversation often at all. Right. So where is like, what are the, it's probably multifaceted, but where are we tackling the problem from? Like, I'll just put it very bluntly and kind of maybe even you know, forgive me if it's, 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 you know, off-putting, but like, is it, is it, are we trying to help the, 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 the people with disabilities get out there and apply for jobs? Or are we looking for corporations to be seeking people with disabilities or where's the, you know, where's the, where's the, yes. the, the, the solution so, sitting? Right. So if you think that just what you said, um, you could approach it by, from the corporate standpoint and say, we've got to change the corporate mindset, so to speak, or perspective of business leaders to think differently about this group. Um, or you could, like you kind of said, approach it from let's go towards run towards the group that is being affected and train them up and just kind of make them almost like uh, so desirable that we're going to make it happen. Right. Uh, honestly, we approach it both ways. <laughs> so so we're we're advocating, we're talking to employers kind of consistent basis. We do job fairs I mean, with employers. So. We're, we're constantly trying to get more and more employers to be open to the access. And you just take it, you know, one step at a time with employers and, you know, you just start it, just eat an elephant one bite at a time. Mm -hmm. on, the, on the other side, it is a little bit more, well, I mean, you would understand this. If you, if you don't have a job or you, you, you don't feel like you have purpose or whatever, you're, you're hungry. So we do run towards the employ the, the potential employees and we um, do, we do, you know, we train them, we upskill them. We, you know, we're always thinking about how to be most effective in that segment too. So mm -hmm. we're running both lanes as, as fast and as hard as we can, but that's the part of the issue with nonprofit space is, finance right so mm -hmm. if if you raise this much money then you can have that much staff and that much you know uh, tools that many tools and you're kind of limited to what you can produce yeah. in you know x amount of people so so that's why our reach i think it, we could scale and be exponential um but we're currently you know 1200 to 1500 people per year but it, but it makes a difference that's it's still great i mean still yeah still appreciate it i think the guest. i think that um the way that we approach or the way that we talk about it is um, to bring it maybe full circle to love as a business strategy mm -hmm. um, love is for us one of the biggest definitions of love is willingness to go at someone else's pace willingness to go at someone else's pace. So a company or, or a business leader willing to go at the pace 
that's different than what they're used to. They're, you know, that's instead of, you know, one of my friends, for example, has a, a, a daughter with severe autism. She speaks in a certain language that he understands. Like at home, he totally understands it. They go out into the world and she speaks that same language and he understands it, but the people around him don't. And so it's like, we've had this conversation where he's like, so why, why would we look at other cultures or other, other groups and say, we need to learn their language, but not look at an autistic child or an autistic adult and say, we need to learn that language because being patient enough to learn that language, to understand that if they're being loud, that's, that may be their language that, that we need to not treat them like, oh, we got to quiet them down. And that's kind of the definition of oppress is to quiet you down. So I have autism, I'm a little loud, or I make a few noises here and there. Why, why can't you be willing to learn my language? And so, but that's, that's that mentality. And mm -hmm. we just love is at the foundation of what we do. And it ultimately, over and over again, love is what we believe changes the game. You got to keep coming back. And that's why a lot of times um, when you run towards the margins or run towards the excluded or run towards the mess, that's why we don't see as much change is because it's hard ass work. And if it, the grind is real and you, you do come up against a lot of hurdles. And so if you're, if you're not understanding how to keep, you know, sustainable health plan in the midst of serving a lot of unhealthy or unwanted or whatever, it, it grinds and, and people kind of give up on it or they just think, I'm just going to throw money at it to make me feel better. Sure. So be between the two um, kind of two-pronged approach, I know, I know there's many facets to it, but between, you know, working with um, upskilling people with disabilities and working with them and giving them opportunities and also the other aspect of helping, you know, businesses or creating mindsets and awarenesses around um, understanding the world of, of having empathy for people with disabilities. I really want to talk to you a little bit more about the latter, uh, specifically because I think when I think of anyone listening to this episode, um, we, we work in, you know, most, most of the audience here is going to be working in some sort of business environment that you know has an opportunity to shift something if not a mindset if not make an opportunity so I, I want to talk about what we can do i want to talk about what it's like to shift we're all i mean i'm always about shifting mindsets i'm hoping that these episodes are always giving somebody an aha moment um a chance to take something they thought they understood and and unlearn it and rethink it and I think this is one of those things. This is one of those things where we can uncover something that we assumed, something that we never considered, and and maybe shift that. So, Hugh, what, what, where do we start? Where can we go if we want to make a difference or an impact? So I would, I would tell you this, uh, the simplest way to start is to find organizations, uh, specifically nonprofit organizations in your community, 
and go and just start asking questions about their actual needs. Um, you know, organizations that work with with kids with disabilities or or adults or um, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of prison uh, reentry type uh, programs. There's also veteran uh, focused uh, organizations. And here's the thing: um, if if you make time for it, it will ultimately become a part of your DNA. Um, I think you gotta you gotta be willing to go in and as the learner and not as the savior. So if I go into an organization and I volunteer, I don't want to think of myself as oh I'm the savior here. I'm like the cool guy. I'm the one that has all the abilities or I have I have the money or I have this. It's like no go in with humility and say, I'm actually intentionally here to, to learn more, to be, to expand and um, evolve as a human in a better way. Right. So, you know, you got, you heard my story. I ran towards mentoring in the marginalized communities. That's, that's a huge one. That's awesome. And it's huge needs in every community. There's also the idea of just, uh, uh, there's two more, one, kind of the slow roll approach of just getting once a month, get get into an organization, be around it, be in the soup, whatever that looks like. If you're, if just make sure you're interacting. So, you know, um, interacting with people with disabilities, whether it's a kid or adult. The other thing that I challenge people, I mean, I have a daughter and I think one of the greatest lessons we can teach our kids is lessons of inclusivity and diversity. So, and we tend to learn. Um, unfortunately, it, it takes it this, but like our kids teach us a lot. <laughs> and the way a kid views a person with a disability is as beautiful, it's, it's, it's untainted, it's, it's raw, it's, it's pure. So I would always tell people, if you got kids, or if you got nieces or nephews or cousins, take one of them with you and do it together because mm. you're modeling. So our society is built on you mirror what you what's modeled for you. And we can argue that, but I think I'm gonna win. So if you're intentionally gonna actually change the game, take somebody with you, specifically a younger person, because you're expanding their mind and their perspective, you're gonna learn from that person and the person you're hanging out with or the people. And you know, it's not going to be easy, but if you're really committed to it, you know, like once a month or something, it's just you know, people want the reward, but they don't want the routine that gets you to that reward. Mm -hmm. And so like you, you really have to say, I'm not just going to like throw up a bunch of hyperbole around being inclusive. I'm going to like go do it and let my actions say, yes, he is and, or she is. And then, I've got a kid or somebody in my neighborhood around me that's watching it too. And that's how we slowly but surely change the game. I love that. I love the concept of being a learner and not a savior. I think I'm guilty of, of seeing charity or things as charity or things as, you know, these eff efforts that if I go out of my way, I'm somehow better or above what I'm helping. And that's, that's a powerful reminder. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, one, I guess, last arena I want to touch on and, and pick your brain is 
for people who are listening in who are i'll just frame them as business minded first um not to say they're bad bad people but we're here to talk about business um what are some results or outcomes or success stories you have of of successfully you know incorporating people with disabilities and like breaking through that barrier like what have you seen that'll help us really have a big pic a big picture for that mindset right so um business minds you know obviously go to the bottom line first um and i would say that a you get tax breaks benefits um and i'm not excited to say that necessarily (laughs) um but when you're business minded you do and then um you many times get like external support um we send even job coaches to be on site for a certain amount of months or weeks to make sure that you're getting the outcomes that you want um, from employees that you're hiring uh, that have disabilities or whatever. And, um, and then I would just say, you know, it is a, it is a conversation that needs to be had in the C-suite so that it's a real all in, you know, we're, we're all all in on this. And we all understand that we're not going to go from like where we're at to perfect, you know, getting hundred percent grades on inclusion and all that. I just think we have to be willing to even be patient with ourselves. Um, but the, but you know, the, the financial, um, piece is, it's interesting. You, you'll find that uh, I don't, again, it's hard for me to prove this, even though I can, I can prove it by statistics about um, uh, being, at, being at the workplace on time and working the whole time you're there. People with disabilities, by and large, are way more on time and they work and it's, you don't worry about them. And it's very interesting dynamic, but it is one that we can prove statistically and that if a business leader is listening, you're going to get loyal, hardworking employees, which yeah. we all know that's, and, and you can, if you're willing, you can upskill them. You can tr- help train them and they'll get better, but they will show up and almost, almost just pester you. Like, let's go, let's get this. And it's awesome. Yeah. And then the, the rest of your staff team, actually grows as well their mindset yeah and um yeah so there you go no that's that's beautiful that last bit is is exactly what i was looking for i mean it makes perfect sense you know if you you know they they shouldn't be marginalized but they are and so when they're when they're seen and accepted they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna stand up for you they're gonna look out for you and work for you harder because you've you've shown them you've given them a home right and and oh, yeah. and I think the exposure of a of a of a team to be around and be, and be supportive together and 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 adopt this culture can speak volumes to the morale and kind of the culture that forms around it. So, yeah, hundred percent. That makes a lot of sense. And and yeah, yeah. and we're we're working really hard to um, we're starting some virtual reality gamification training for jobs in the meta and. So we're, we're, because what people don't realize is about 40 million 
40, maybe it's maybe it's even grown to 60 million at this point of the gaming community in the United States are people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's amazing how how many of them are on those types of platforms. And there's a lot of equality in gaming because you're an avatar. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. So it's that whole industry and the, and the meta and tech in and of itself is a great space again to be thinking about hiring people with disabilities maybe that need to be in home yeah very interesting yeah. Hugh uh, before we close out here uh, just give a quick kind of I understand you work you you operate in the Dallas Fort Worth uh, area in Texas correct yes Give a little, can you give a little, a little pitch for, for you and I, just so people know how to reach you, know how to contact you if they want to help out. Yeah. So you and I spread the light.com. Um, you can go there. You, uh, we are at, at it takes you and I on the gram and on Facebook. It takes you and I to spread the light of inclusion for people with disabilities. We will grow further and faster if you believe that, if you believe that it does take you and I, and if fundamentally in your heart, there's some kind of palpable, like, I feel this, I feel that the and, the ampersand is at the center of our brand, that that these people should be included and your voice matters and your talent matters and your gift matters. If that's what you feel, then partner with us. We're looking to go and grow and scale, um, not just in, in, the, in the United States, but even internationally. And so that's how you check us out. And then you connect with us and then we, we, we rock from there. Awesome, Hugh, thank you so much. Uh, it's been really, really inspirational and motivational for me to have this talk today. I've got a lot of things in my head and that's a good thing. So I hope the <laughs> listeners also have the same. Thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity, Jeff. and. Always want to support you guys however we can. Awesome. And as always to our audience, thank you. And we hope you enjoyed this talk. We do post new episodes every week. If you have not, please do check out our book, Love as a Business Strategy, available in all sorts of places. So subscribe, rate the podcast, tell a friend. And uh, thank you, Hugh, one more time. And we will see everybody next week. Bye.